Hi, I'm Kyle Gold. And I'm Cam Hirasaki with him as always. And we would like to welcome you to Unsheathed episode number eight. We're here um, again, although no sangria today. No sangria, but I do have uh, some of another wine recommendation from Kit. This apparently is a Rosé Blenheim Vineyards, which is apparently owned by Dave Matthews. It's out of Virginia. I don't think I've ever had a wine out of Virginia before, but it's quite good. And uh, I sadly have exhausted my stores of Coke Zero, so I am on plain old water. But um, but I am back from a an exciting week in the northern Canadian woods at Camp Farrell, where we had just a spectacular time. Kit and I enjoyed ourselves very much, and uh, we got not only some... Uh, had some fun times with the campers there in uh, relation to the writing, but uh, we were able to get to know Flane Falcon, who does the Anthropodcast and also runs Anthropod.org, which led sort of to an impromptu invitation from him for us to put Unsheathed up on Anthropod.org, which I'm going in the process of talking to him about the actual technical details of how to do. And uh, we were very excited to be part of his uh, part of his show. If you haven't listened to it, you can find a, I think it's Unsheathed number not Unsheathed. I think it's Anthropodcast number eighteen. It's whatever the live one he did at Camp Farrell. Uh, he ended up bringing me up for about fifteen minutes to talk about uh, his chosen topic, which was why. That's very zen. <laughs> it is, and actually led to a number of very interesting questions and uh, and answers. Actually, he got me talking a little bit about my inspiration to become furry, which I don't think I've really talked about much anywhere else. But uh, you should not you should listen to the end of the podcast because Flane manages to wrap up the whole episode in a fabulous song and dance number. No, just a fabulous, stirring speech about um, about fandom. Uh-huh. And he claims that he did not plan it, um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Is He's, it as good as the speech in The Goonies where... I've oh, actually no. never seen The Goonies. Oh, all right. Well, I have to change that someday. Yes. There are many movies that, uh, that I've, I've yet to see, but... Um, so you should definitely check out Anthropodcast, check out Flane's, uh, live from Camp Farrell. Uh, it's very entertaining. I will, uh, I'll certainly miss the ability to be sitting in front of a microphone and say, Yay, Camp Farrell! And have a whole crowd go, Woo! And clap. That was, uh, that was quite something. Yeah, and so while Kyle was away at Camp Farrell, I was just home by myself, bored, not doing enough writing. <laughs> I didn't get much writing done either, although um, the cabins did have electricity, so I was able to get a few words down, you know, with some downtime in the evenings every now and then. Um, One of the things, though, that really surprised me about Camp Farrell was uh, I would have thought that in a camp environment the emphasis would be on a lot of the outdoor activities, and they keep plugging the the melee and the capture flag and the uh, predator prey and rock climbing and archery and canoes and, and those, that stuff's all great but 
they really are um, they really are dedicated to trying to make it kind of a, a furry university as well. So they've got classes teaching artwork, they've got classes in leatherworking, they've got classes in uh, where you can make ears and a tail for yourself if you want. Um, they've got uh, and they and they've got writing tracks. So I had a writing workshop where we had a few people and we didn't really have much structure to it, but we sat around and people were really interested in um, some of the ins and outs of writing and, and various aspects of it that I wouldn't have thought to cover. I would have just gone to the basic, you know, here's how you design a character, here's how you, um, you know, here's how you write a plot, here's how you do descriptions, but they wanted to talk about um, publishing and getting your stories out to the world and stuff like that. And it was all, uh, it was it was just really cool that there were that many people with an interest. And um, we had probably 30, 40 people show up at the reading. And wow. um, they uh, they really got into it. Like I said on the on my summary on LiveJournal, uh, it's the first time I think I've done a preview reading and had someone make a comment that ended up uh, that I ended up putting into the text. Um, it was it was actually pretty amusing, and that happened twice. Um, they also do a lot of performance. Um, the poetry corner people read classical poems. Um, they read their own works. Uh, same thing with the musician circle. A lot of it's just fun sing along, and a lot of it is um, stuff that they perform or they created and wrote themselves. So there was a lot of, it was just a it was just a really creative community as well as being the the whole outdoor thing and um and we had i was i mean they they treated me and flame terrific and uh and and kit too for that matter uh we had a lot of ideas about getting involved in stuff and like the first um the first melee which was a big sort of fake war with foam swords and all um I'd- Roommates in college used to be into that. Yeah. If you've seen the movie Role Models, it was a lot like that, except less complicated. It just took place on a soccer field. Um, but Flane and I showed up kind of right as they were getting started and said, hey, the two guests of honor should be the generals on either side. And they were like, well, we already have generals for both sides, but okay, that'll work. You know, we can do them for the first round, and then we'll re-choose later. So we got to... Um, we got to pick teams composed of people we didn't know uh, in order to play a game we didn't understand the rules for. Uh, but it all turned out to be good fun. Uh, my side had a big moat because it had been raining, so we had a huge puddle in front of us. And uh, Kit took a lot of pictures, and then uh, I made Kit go play the next round. And uh, <laughs> Although I lost both times, as you will hear on Flane's podcast, um, Kit actually revived the honor of Kyle and Kit by <laughs> capturing the flag with help, um, but he was the one who brought it back to his um, his side's goal and scored the victory for them. And that was a much longer drawn-out affair. Um, but uh, but we had we had a great time. We, we definitely want to go back, and we want to drag a bunch of other people with us. And um, I think if I can drag some other writers back and uh, some other friends from California that we could uh, we just have a terrific time there you know if 
I just want to let you know in advance that if my experience at Rainforest is a letdown now, I am absolutely going to blame you for all of what you just said. Well, I understand they've discontinued the archery track at Rainforest um, due to hotel hazardous policy, hazardous uh, weapons policies, but uh, other than that, I, I fully expect to have a, a terrific time at Rainforest in a couple weeks. Did, did they actually used to have an archery? No. Okay, um, I didn't think so. <laughs> Sorry, that was me being funny. I, I got that you were being funny, but then I was like, it, it sounded like a weird enough Seattle thing that it might have been something they would do. I actually used to do archery. Oh, I, I went and fired a bow, um, actually, because for the first time in years and years, I don't know if I've ever actually fired a real bow before. Like a composite longbow? Oh, it was a short bow, actually, oh, okay. I believe. Um no, I used to have one of those plastic green arrow bows, and I used to fire that all the time until I fired it into one of my other toys and broke two toys at once. Um, <laughs> but um, but no, we, they, we fired bows because bows and arrows play a fairly large part in Shadow of the Father, so I wanted to make sure that uh, yeah. uh, there wasn't anything that I was missing from the whole firing a short bow experience. And so, yes, I compressed... Ten years of studying short bow into a half hour session where I fired ten arrows once, but um, I hit the bullseye a few times, so um, I think I I think I got it. That's actually why I went gun shooting the first time I did was I wanted to have the experience in case I ever needed to write about it. Oh yeah, I don't think you did actually. Yeah. Um, Not that people ever die in stories I write. No, <laughs> I would never do horrible things to my characters. They usually don't die by gunshot. No, they usually you they, just scar them emotionally until they don't want to live no more. I've, I've had people shoot themselves. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But I digress. <sighs> well, I, I went As from happy did. memories of, of the Canadian wilderness to furry suicide. Um, but we will segue into that because this will be released uh, hopefully this week. Um, Hirosaki-san and I will both be at Rainforest and... Potentially, if we can find a way to get the recording equipment up there, we will um, try to do some recording while we're on site. Um, we're in Kit's paws with that one. But we definitely are going to be doing a panel. At least, I think I'm on a panel, and if I'm on a panel, then he will be too. Um, so, if you're at Rain First, we'll be there Saturday. Uh, Hirosaki-san will be there Friday and Saturday and Sunday, and I'll be there Saturday and Sunday. And um, we will look forward to seeing you there. Oh, I didn't realize you were getting in so late. Yeah, we get in late on Fridays. The okay. whole, you know, taking an entire week off to go to Camp Farrell doesn't leave you a whole lot of vacation time. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually getting in on uh, Thursday afternoon. But I mean, there's not going to be anything going on. I'll just be in Seattle, which would be good if you were in the downtown. I think by the airport, you'll be like a mall. Oh. Hmm. It's a nice mall. There's still coffee, right? There's coffee. There's, um... I don't remember if they have pizza up there, but, um... But there's definitely... I, I, think, Starbucks. There, I think there might be a Starbucks or two. <laughs> One or two. Yeah, the, the star block in Seattle is like half a block. A star block, for our listeners, is the distance between two Starbucks in any city. So, like, in Denver around Rocky Mountain Furcon... A star block was about three city blocks, and in uh, in Seattle it's about one or half of one. But uh, anyway, that's our convention report, uh, and I think we have a couple questions to talk about. 
All right, so I'll get started on uh, those. Uh, this one is from Fratus, who I believe we had a question from him just a recently. Weeks ago, yeah. Yeah. And he says, I wanted to mention that I know another way to help with writer's block, or the blank screen, uh, which we mentioned in Unsheathed Episode 2, a.k.a. the episode with all the audio problems. (laughs) I find that listening to music that relates to the mood or energy flow of the particular story you have in mind sometimes help to get the creative juices flowing, like the chapter of a story I'm working on now has some heartbreak and some excitement, so I create a playlist of my favorite songs that have some of those emotions or feeling I want in it, so I can keep writing. And I th- this is absolutely true for me, um, especially when it comes to short stories where I have a particular mood in mind for the story, I will listen to music that enhances that mood. Like my story, Candy and Music, which is in Heat 5, which has the, the raver ringtail and the you know, the big dance club scene. When I was writing that, I was always listening to, like, synth pop and, you know, like, electro pop and dance music, like, while I was actually writing the story, because that's the mindset I wanted to be in. And there's also an emphasis in the actual writing itself on that sort of rhythm, and that sort of helped from a technical standpoint, too. Yeah, uh, I have that, too. It doesn't so much help with the writer's block as it does... um when I'm thinking about the story at other times, if I'm listening to the songs that I associate with it, that helps me keep the, the character path right, if that yeah. makes sense. It helps with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. And for Waterways and for Out of Position, I brought up, um, I put out playlists on iTunes. And the Waterways one was almost more songs that kind of after the fact I thought would apply to the book. Um, they were songs that uh, there weren't so much songs that I was listening to, although I listened to some of them while I was doing the writing. But um, the out-of-position ones, there's a, a core of about four or five songs that um, they were, for whatever reason, the, the songs that I, I repeat over and over again on my little iPod shuffle when I was working out. So if I ran out of podcasts, it would go to music. And I would take the these songs and they had a very definite relationship to the characters in the story. So as I was trying to think through plot points and how the characters were reacting to things in the story, these songs as background really brought out the feelings and transitions that I was trying for in the story. So, Yeah, and for me, oftentimes I will get an idea for a story while listening to a song. And this sort of helps more with the writer's block, where I'll start to get an idea, and if I'm listening to a song when I get that idea, if I go back and listen to that song again, that tends to help me flesh out the idea. And whether it's directly inspired by that song or not is... there's Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Oh, we definitely create patterns of memory. Yeah. And you'll you'll recall things that you associated with something that happened at one time, and if you reproduce that sensation, you, your brain kind of goes back to the other things that were happening at the same time. So, you've got, for example, you know, you're thinking about a certain story, and the story has a certain resonance for you. And I, I love that word. And if you're listening to a particular song, the song can really recall that resonance to you. And I've, I've, it's worked both ways for me. For Out of Position, I had this song list, and 
it sort of gradually built to the point that when I heard those songs, I would think of the characters right away. Um, there was also uh, the last one on the list, I think, is I'm Yours by Jason Mraz. Right. And that was one where Kit and I were in the car, and we just bought the album and were listening to it. And I'd heard the song a few times before, but listening to it in the car and getting all the words, it just struck really, really hard that that was their song. And it, it, it we both felt it that, that first time we played it through. It was... Um, so that was something that came in a little after the fact, which was interesting. But I've also written stories and novels. Um, you know, if I think about my primary influences on Vol, uh, it was the Victor Hugo book Les Miserables, which sounds really pretentious, but I don't mean it to be. It's just that I, I wanted to read it because I love the musical, So, which gets me hopefully back to being more gay than pretentious, which is what I prefer. <laughs> but From an outside perspective, it's often hard to distinguish. <laughs> Oh, yeah, very true. Um, But I I loved the musical, I loved the story, and I wanted to read the the source work. And so I'd read Les Miserables, and it's this huge, long, epic story, and it was right at the time that I was trying to write a, a kind of, you know, minor porn story into a novel. And so I took a lot of, uh, not you know, specific tips from him because I don't go into 30-page descriptions of the castle in Devalia, but um, just the feel of it, the, the weight of the, of the time and place where there were all these, um, all these institutions and people have been around for centuries, um, I, that, that kind of informed the, the feel of Argea as I was writing it. And I think, I, I think that owes a lot, it, the, the feel of Argea owes a lot to that book in that I wanted it to have that history and reading Les Mis encouraged me to build that history in my head so that when I was writing about it, I could write the little pieces and have it all sort of make sense on the back end. I will say that all of the books that you've written in that setting I have a, vis- a very visual sense of the places where all these events, you know, go on, and just sort of the way that you've built up. Sort of, again, you you have this foundation that comes through in the description, and it really does help to sort of kind of form the the foundation of the image that you're making in your mind as you're reading. Yeah, and I don't I don't listen to a lot of classical music, but I think if if Vol and the Argea books had music, it would be classical. Uh, because most of what I listen to is like contemporary pop and alternative and um, a little bit of everything, but but more of that popular music as opposed to classical. And you can't, I can't really relate popular music to the Argea books. Um, I know that I know you know it's universal themes and it's people and love and hate and the despair and loss and all that stuff and it's all transcends time and place and history and but I for me personally just these the songs that I listen to are so rooted in a more contemporary era that I can't relate them back to those books. Um, that makes sense. And I suppose that there are certain types of modern music that I think would be okay for writing in settings like that. Like, I think you could get away with, like, like symphonic metal or something if you were going to be writing a fantasy story. 
Yeah, oh, I think I think definitely for for other people, I have no problem with that. I've had people mention that you know certain songs recall that world to them, but just for me myself, the those songs are so tied to a particular feel of a world, which is a contemporary world that. I can't bridge the disconnect. And I don't really seem to need music for that world, which is interesting. No, that's true. And I think that when I'm reading it, there's nothing... I I would agree that I think that that sort of musical uh, connection would be a bit, you know, unfitting. But but music is definitely a great... um, a great inspiration and connection... And it goes kind of back to what I was saying about Feral, which is one reason I like the the questions we have for this week are all sort of about cross-breeding these creative endeavors, um, is these things are all connected. Your appreciation of music relates to the writing, which relates to artwork, which relates to poetry and dance and, and all this stuff. And sometimes you can inspire one creative pursuit by indulging in another. If that makes sense. You know, if, if you're blocked on a... Uh, because it's all about people communicating. And maybe you're so caught up in the words and the, the, the specific means of which you're trying to write your story that you're losing sight of the fact that what you need to do is communicate feelings and emotions and, and that. And just go to a different medium. Listen to a song. Go to a museum and look at some beautiful pieces of art. Go to Fur Affinity and look at some porn. You know, It's like creative acupuncture. Okay. <laughs> you know, you stick a pin over here and it makes something over here work better. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. Um, to go with the theory. You mentioned looking at porn in a fan and it was sort of going with the theme of sticking things into things. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't necessarily relate that directly to acupuncture, though, because... That I would hope not. That that's. Yeah. I'm sure somebody is turned on by it. Yeah, well, we... Uh, I don't really want to get to the needle fetish. You can keep that to yourself, by the way, in your letters. Yes, please don't feel the need to write in and point us to the needle fetish website, because we won't look at it. Um, I might not be able to stop myself from looking at it, so please don't send me the link. (laughs) Uh, See, now you've done it. I just said we weren't going to look at it, so now you've you've created an expectation. There is that weird, like, you know... Japanese, why did you make this into an erotic aspect thing that goes on that <laughs> I might find unavoidable, I don't know. And of of all the things that you've done for me over the course of our friendship, I, I think not showing me those things is among the things I most appreciate. Actually, alright, let me, let me briefly go on a segue to make this up to you, speaking about uh, <laughs> Japanese and erotica. So actually, right. one of the things that I did while you were at Camp Farrell is... Uh, there's this Japanese gay-free dating sim that has been in production for a couple of years, and just last week they released a new demo, which, um, before everyone starts sending me letters asking me where you can download this from the Japanese interwebs, uh, there's no porn in it, and it's all completely text, so if you can't read Japanese, it's not worth your time anyway. Um, but it's actually really interesting to see how Japanese erotic writing and English erotic writing overlap in a lot of ways, Hmm. and how you see a lot of the bad cliches in the same thing, which is weird because in normal Japanese fiction, it doesn't share a lot of similarities with normal English fiction, but the sort of erotic or even... And and it's not even when the 
scenes themselves contain sexual content just in the I guess when you're building up to like a romantic, you know, sexual tension mood, the writing styles are very similar. And mm. it's it's and that surprised me. That's interesting. And it's sort of the whole erotica is kind of universal. Yeah, and it's funny actually because when you get to uh euphemisms that you tend to use so you don't have to say the same technical clinical words over and over again, there's some things that you know, if you directly translate them from Japanese into English, would be the exact same euphemistic word you would use in English. And then there are other ones that you wouldn't use, but in context they make sense. Okay, so now you have to give us an example of a Japanese euphemism that would not be used in English. Uh, that would not be used? One of the ones that they use a lot is the word mono, which just means, it literally just means thing. But I would sort of, in the way it's used, it's almost like if you were going to use like the word member, like for penis, they just say a mono. We do say thing. I mean, it's more of a teenager thing. It's kind of like... Yeah, I wouldn't say like, oh, he stroked oh, his... Oh, I saw p-. his thing. Yeah, but I, if you ever wrote a story where it's like, you know, he wrapped his paw around his thing and started to stroke it up and down, that would just sound dumb and weird. And please don't ever do that. See, now I'm thinking of ways when I could do that. If it was don't a, tell me not to do If it something. was a tentacle beast. <laughs> he wrapped his paw around the tentacle thing? <laughs> Wrapped his thing around the thing. <laughs> I'm just remembering the, you know, he slipped his sex into her sex and they had sex. <laughs> if you've never heard that. I have heard that yes. one, actually. Um, that was Actually, that was a conversation I had the other day. It was how I don't like the word sex as a euphemism for male genitalia. Female genitalia, I'm more okay with it, but since I'm not usually reading about female genitalia, I guess it doesn't really have a chance to yeah. rub me the wrong way, so to speak. He had a thing in his mouth. No. you got something in your mouth. I don't know. You could do something with it. You probably could. All right. Uh, so, uh, that that uh, does not relate at all to the next question, so we're not going to have a smooth segue here. <laughs> speaking of segues. Speaking of segues. Um, we're, we'll, we'll be quiet for like two seconds and let you generate your own segue. This is a writing exercise, all of you out there. Yes, if you have writer's block, write a segue here. Okay. Pink. And we're done. How was your segue? We composed some nice ones in our own head, but we're not going to ruin your own exercise by telling you ours, because... Mine kind of turned me on. Well. Hell, I mean, just, like, walking down to the... Walking down to the Starbucks turns you on. I've had wine. I'm even easier to turn on than usual. <laughs> You're easier to turn on than an iPhone. Um, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know, but I want to put that in my next story. <laughs> All right, so our next question is, and I think this may end up being our last question because we've kind of rambled on a lot, this podcast. Um, I need to ask a question that has bugged me for a while. What process do you go through to get art for a novel? Like where to look, and how should I get something like sample art for future art for that novel? This is from Viskers Naus. The Black Cougar. Um, if this is... We get we get questions like these occasionally um, where I'll get... We'll, we'll talk to people about um, about getting art for a novel and getting a novel published and whatnot, but I think this is interesting because obviously you can't just get some anyone to draw pictures for your novel. You want someone whose style fits the tone of the novel. 
Um, I think Sarah Palmer does a terrific job with old historical fantasy and really has just captured the spirit of the Agea books with yeah. her drawings. She's great with the outfits and like the period garb. Yeah. And really when it comes to to artwork, there's there's artwork that and and also uh, to mention you mentioned your Candy Music story in Heat Five. The cover right. of Heat Five was done by Ocelot and really just captures the spirit of that story really well. Yeah. As I told her, I didn't even speak to her at all about that. She had just been sent a copy of the story. I didn't interact with her at all on that. And I only I only saw the finished product and I saw that I go, it was like you just reached into my head and pulled the characters out and put them on the page. That's exactly what I had in my head. And she just did that, which I thought was amazing. Well and I think what's interesting too is this the interior illustrations by Blank Tegan are also really really appropriate for the story and if as i recall i haven't looked at it in a um in a while because it came out last year but as i recall the characters on that ocelot did and the characters that black Teen did look really really similar they do and you can definitely tell that they're the same characters and i think that's i think that's a credit to your writing which I, oh, you weren't you. going to say but I, I i was going to say i think it's a credit to their artistic ability to read a description and represent a character based on what was written but Thank you. Well, um, so I do. I do love the art for that story, by the way. I do. Oh, yeah. That was that. That's what started the bitches don't know about my happy blowjobs <laughs> moment at uh, Furry Fiesta. Uh, and then we had and what our, a moment that was. Yes, and then we discussed the difference between happy blowjobs and unhappy blowjobs. And you, in fact, proved to me that there can, in fact, be unhappy blowjobs. Uh, in my story in Heat Six, I believe uh, you're referring to. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was unhappy so much as just boring, but um, could be, I suppose. Anyway, uh, there were unhappy blowjobs in uh, Vol, actually, the first one I ever wrote. About. Oh, that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was a very unhappy blowjob, but uh, at any rate. Which is sad. All blowjobs should be happy. Strive to make them so. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I, I can give one. you pointers if you need them. That's a different podcast. <laughs> That's like unsheathed and mouthed or something. <laughs> unsheathed after dark. Unsheathed. <laughs> usually, after, usually after dark. We already have the explicit tag on. Um, so I, I'm I'm going to try to answer this question. And you know, the best way to get art for a story is get the story published and let the publisher work with an artist to get art for your story. Um, I mean, that's that's my preferred method. Uh, you, your mileage may vary, but um, I know I do know a couple cases in which people have been kind of unhappy with the art that was chosen for their story. Uh, I'm not going to name names because we don't need that drama, but it ha- it happens occasionally. I mean, yeah. people don't have the right the same tastes, and the publisher thinks uh, this art will go great with the story, and the writer says. Um, you know, I you know I don't like that style. It's not how I envision it. Whatnot. Yeah, I mean, for some publications that I've been published in, the publisher has asked, "Do you have an artist that you would like to uh, ask for?" And in the case of Candy and Music, I don't think I did, and mm-hmm. I just ended up with Black Tegan. Which, yeah, <laughs> I was really going to complain about. Oh, look, we got Black Tegan. Is is that okay? I'm like, is that okay? Of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, after seeing Ocelot's work on that for the cover, when it came to my story in X, 
And I believe you actually asked if anyone had any yep. artist suggestions. We and did. I totally raised my hand on that. I'm like, Can you get Austin Love back? She's awesome. And she was, and she did a great pick for your she, story. Oh, I think I like that almost better than the cover. The cover's um, just so colorful and pretty, though. It is. But, yeah. The, uh, the other thing I would say is if there's an artist that you work with a lot, that you've got, that you've developed kind of a personal relationship with, who likes re- your story and reads your stories, if you will. Um, that that can often bring you much better art than just whatever the publisher wants, because an artist who takes the time to read your stories, who really gets into them and puts, uh, I hate to say love, but love and effort into work as well as technical expertise, that always really comes through. Right. Um, and I'm not saying you should go out there and, you know, stalk an artist. Please do not stalk any artists. Um, or but, writers. Or writers. But if you have, if you have that relationship, um, you know, you might cultivate it. And a lot of times artists will be really flattered to be asked to illustrate a story. Don't, don't be afraid to talk to them. And especially if they're friends. And just say, you know, I really think your style would capture the characters in the story, and you know, if, and offer to pay them. Always yeah. offer to pay them. My my other suggestion to that would be don't treat it like you would treat it like a normal commission, where the artist is saying, "Hey, I'm open for commissions. Give me money, and I'll draw stuff." You really want to emphasize that I want your work to match my writing, right? And I think that that's almost more important. And I mean, if there's an artist that you like and you're on good terms with that probably like like you said I think that trumps a lot but again just knowing what artists and what art styles match what stories is a helpful thing to have in mind yeah absolutely um I think that's about all I have to say about that yeah I mean I think that you know you certainly have a breadth of experience on that Mr. close to half a dozen novels now yeah uh Four novels, one anthology, one edited anthology. There you I'll go. Have five novels in January. Congratulations. Um, and speaking of which, the Sarah Palmer's cover art for Shadow of the Father we unveiled at Camp Farrell in the con book in an advertisement. Um, it will be posted online at some point. I've put a photo album up on the forums, and I'm going to have Sarah upload it to her site, but I'm also going to upload it to the um, preview art in the photo gallery so watch the watch the live journal with Fur Affinity account for more details I was not at Camp Farrell but I got to see the artwork through nepotism he did this is true we uh it's not technically nepotism since we're not related is it well we're a different I mean, species we can't be related I'm sure Oscar could find a way for us to be related <laughs> he's got it all worked out he said so um if we're brothers does that make it hotter or less hot it depends on what we're doing. And what like what Kit lets us get away with, and how much wine we've all had. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so the only the only last thing that I will say, since we're running out of time, is we're going to try to put up a uh, fur affinity count for Unsheathed that will hopefully just be called Unsheathed. But watch our live journals and fur affinity accounts for announcements, and then you hopefully have a central place where you can send letters and. Uh, see announcements, and when people send us links, we can post them up there, and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, what he said. (laughs) 
All right. Um, so, happy writing. Keep sending us questions. We're getting a lot of really good ones. And uh, I will leave you with this. Uh, I'm Kyle Gold. And I am Cam Harasaki, and wishing you uh, happy reading as well. <laughs>